to The Bubble Lounge. I'm Martha Jackson, and I don't know about you all, but I have really been missing Friday Night Lights at Highlander Stadium. There's just something really special about the football season, and I've been missing it a lot lately. But we all have the opportunity this Friday, April 14th at 6.30 p.m., to see SMU play their inter-squad game. So here's what's happening. I'm sure a lot of you have seen when you're driving down Mockingbird that the SMU Stadium is under construction. They've got a lot of really exciting things planned. However, they're not ready to play the spring game at their stadium, so they're moving it to Highlander Stadium, which is extremely exciting for our community and gives us all a chance to really participate and get in there and see what's going on with SMU. To encourage you to come out, we've invited Coach Rhett Lashley, head coach of SMU football, who's going to share some background about this game, as well as what to expect about this upcoming season. Coach, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I did a little bit of research on you before we had our interview, and you have quite the background. You have done a lot in your football career. Tell me what led you to head coach of SMU. Oh, gosh. Well, what led me to be the head coach of SMU was they called and asked me. So uh, <laughs> it was a pretty easy answer. But uh, I've had a good journey, a fun journey. I was fortunate to – I'm from Arkansas, not too far from here, but I was fortunate to be here in 2018 and 2019 as the offensive coordinator. So had familiarity with the Park Cities, with SMU, uh, with the Dallas area, our AD, our, our president, everyone involved. And so when the head coaching position came open – I think that's why you know it was a fit, and, and I'm glad to be here. Well, you've had a very long career with football yourself, though, starting in Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've played football since I was in first grade. Um, so, you know, got to play all growing up, really loved it. Um, played through high school, played a little bit in college at the University of Arkansas. And then, you know, they say those who can't do any longer coach, and uh, I was no longer – you know, good enough to play, I guess. So I started coaching. Well, I think that's amazing. And it's so impressive. I read that you uh, became head coach before the age of 40, which is a little bit rare in the industry, right? Yeah, it is. I've still got a few months left and then I hit that big 40. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it has been a unique journey. I was blessed. I, I became the offensive coordinator at Auburn University at 29. And so that was kind of a big deal then. And to think it took 10 years really to, to become a head coach. Um, but the journey has been a lot of fun. Um, and I learned a lot throughout the process. Well, that's very impressive because, you know, there's a lot of people that play that have a lot of passion for the sport, but it's a little bit of a rarity to be able to continue on and get to the level that you have. Yeah, I've, I mean, we're, we're all fortunate for the opportunities we're given. And, um, you know, my high school coach was a guy named Gus Malzahn who – became the head coach at Auburn. He's currently the head coach at Central Florida. And, and then I played for Houston at Arkansas. And when I played there, I got done. I was able to be a graduate assistant for both Houston and Gus Malzahn at the same time. And so it's, it's more about who you know, not what you know. And that allowed me to get my <laughs> foot in the door and um, you know, just have the opportunities I've been able to have to coach, uh, which, you know, yes, I love the sport. I played it. But you, you still get to impact young men at the most influential time, really, in their life. It's the last step before they get into the real world, which they have no idea what's about to hit them with that. And so uh, I think that's what I love most about it. Well, as a mom of a 14-year-old eighth grade boy, mm. tell me kind of what you can expect going into the football program. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, I've got 12-year-old boys. Actually, I have not one. I have two sets of twins. I've heard that. So <laughs> we say we made a zoo, um, <laughs> and, um, and it's, there's never a dull moment. But So I can kind of understand why you're asking that question. You know, we Look, you're coming to SMU still to get a degree. You want to play football. Um, 
but it's our job. We're, it's almost like if you're running track and, and you're in a relay and someone's carrying the baton and they're handing the baton off. So as a mom, you're handing the baton off at some point when your 14-year-old son's going to college. That's going to be pretty hard, right, even if he's staying close or not. So who you're handing that baton to matters, and that's our job, to take the baton and try to build on what you've done raising your son um, to where when he leaves SMU three, four, five years from now, um, you know, he's taking that next step and becoming a man, and he's ready to take on the world and everything that comes with that. What are um, some of the values that you're instilling into the guys? What's important to you? Oh, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I think the thing I love about football is you learn so much from playing it, being on a team, about life. And it's, it's no disrespect to the classroom, but things that it's more like real-world experiences that you learn, but you learn it in a game. And, um, you know, for us, I, I just know, remember for me as a player, and I've seen so many, you learn how to overcome adversity. You learn how to be a part of a team. You learn how to win. You learn how to lose. You learn how to work hard. You learn how to experience failure and all those things that come with it. It's a process that's going to help you in life. And so for, for us as a team, we don't have a lot of, like, mottos or anything, but we have really four kind of core foundational beliefs that we believe in that we talk about as a team. Um, and it's one, you know, we want to be a family. And that's something that people throw around a lot. But families are really close, right? And you have disagreements. You have all the things, but you're, you're committed to each other. So we want to be a, have a family atmosphere. We want to have competitive excellence in everything we do, not just football. You compete in everything in life, whether you want to or not. You wake up, you're competing. Uh, we want to work hard, and, and then we want to be known as finishers. And that's really the four things. And none of those four things take ability. And so we feel like not only in football it will help us, but when players leave our team, right, if, if they've learned what it's like to be committed to something and be a part of a family, something bigger than yourself, if they know how to compete in life in whatever it may be the right way to be the best they can be, if they know how to work hard and do their best, and if they know how to finish, which is, uh, to me, a lost art in our society, then we think they'll be successful. We have interviewed the Highland Park football captains before, and I've always found it so fascinating just to hear from them the importance of the teamwork, like what you're talking about. But I also found it interesting that they don't put the names on the back of their jersey because it's not about the individual, it's about the team. But they have expressed to us how even if a member of the team isn't a starter, it's still they still get so many life lessons, like what you're talking about here. Yep. Yeah, I mean, everybody has a role, right? And and somebody's the starting quarterback, but somebody's the scout team quarterback, and somebody's the holder, and somebody really is just on the team, but they have something they can give to the team. And that's what's so great about a team is it's it's everyone everyone matters. And some roles are bigger than the other, but everybody can be a star in their role, whatever that is, um, to contribute to the team. And so um, that's what I love about the sport. You know, I love the idea of – I know some people don't put names on the back of the jerseys and all that. You The sayings, the name on the front is great, and the name on the back. All that stuff's great. You know, at our world, <laughs> the mamas wouldn't like it if the names weren't on the back of the jerseys, first of all. But then in recruiting and all that, so we have names on the back. But there's something special in life, even if it's not football, about being a part of something bigger than yourself. And – it's hard sometimes to get these macho athletes to understand that, right? But that's our job. And that's what I probably enjoy the most is, is taking a bunch of guys and trying to create a team out of it. Yeah. Um, it's really a fun process. That's got to be something. Um, I personally prefer the names on the jerseys because go. I don't know who's who. 
There you go. <laughs> exactly. So talk to us about why the game is going to be at Highlander this Friday night at 6.30. Yeah, so you know we had a, a, pretty, a pretty good, I think, first season last year. And at the end of the season, um, we've had some really generous donors, Gary Weber being one, Bill Armstrong, Marty Flanagan. There's others who've given, you know, we're talking over $70, $80 million uh, to the SMU football department to build a new kind of end zone facility for football. And so right now there's a lot of construction going on at Ford Stadium over there on Mockingbird. Um, there's this massive hole in the ground. They moved about almost 700,000 cubic yards of dirt. And I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot. And um, to, to put in an over $100 million facility that's going to be football only, it's an 18-month process. And they started that right after the season in January. So we're practicing spring practice. We do it every year. You get 15, and you usually end with a spring football game. Well, we don't have a stadium to play it in. So it makes sense, you know, where SMU's located. Highland Park is just a mile or two away. And Randy Allen, who I think is, you know, there's not a better high school coach in the history of Texas. The, the stats almost say that, is an SMU grad. And so when you start just looking at where could we go to kind of end our spring football season with a spring game, it just made a lot of sense. And, and we're thankful to Randy and the Highland Park um, administration for allowing us to have the game there. It'll be this Friday night, um, April 14th at 630. It's free admission. And uh, I know our guys are excited to play and, and hopefully in front of some people other than just the coaches for a change. Well, I wonder how different it's going to feel because I know a college stadium is a little bit bigger like as, as far as the sidelines go. Yeah, actually, it's probably going to be nostalgic for our guys. They grew up playing at places like Highland Park, right, especially in this state. The stadiums are pretty good in high school. and so, But there's something about a smaller, intimate setting that's kind of cool in football. So I think they'll enjoy it. I mean, like I said, some of these guys haven't even played yet in our stadium. Uh, we have some newcomers, so they'll probably feel right at home playing in a high school stadium, and, and we're excited we get the opportunity to do that just right down the road. I love that you brought that up because – there are a lot of high schools that we have played in the past few years that have extremely extravagant stadiums. And ours, to me, is kind of down home, and it just feels like a small town, and I actually like it better than the big ones. I agree with you. So I, I growing up in high school, we had a big rivalry game and uh, with our crosstown rival. And, and my senior year, we played it at, at Razorback Stadium, where, the, where Arkansas plays. It seats 80,000 people, and there was almost 30,000 people there, which is awesome. It was a state record at the time, but it was still not even half full, right? The previous year, we played the same team at their stadium that seated 3,000 people, and there was 10,000 fans there. And the atmosphere was so much better when there was only 10,000 fans in a smaller setting versus the larger. So, um, yeah, I, I just think there's something about, uh, you know, the Highland Park Stadium is, is what it is for a reason. There's been a lot of wins there, and I think that's what makes it special. I want to hear more about the stadium and the improvements that you are doing and just about the season in general. Yeah, so it's really it's pretty phenomenal. So it's, it's going to be over a 150,000-square-foot facility. It's, it's going to close in the stadium off Mockingbird. So if you've driven by the stadium before where you could see into the stadium, well, now you'll see construction. But when it's all said and done, it's going to close it in. It's going to be a really nice – SMU style looking out exterior on Mockingbird. It's called the Gary Weber uh, End Zone Complex, and like the reason being is Gary was so kind. He gave fifty million dollars to the project. Wow! You know, one person to do that, it, that kind of leadership and commitment, and and the reason he did it is he's he's told people I played football at SMU. The only reason I was allowed to go to SMU to get that degree is because I played football. But that degree has allowed me to you know, amass a pretty, pretty good amount of wealth. And so he wanted to give back and it'll be generationally uh, impactful for our players. And so, um, but that's an 18 month process. And so in doing so to build such a facility, 
In January, they started. They had to peel, actually peel our stadium turf back about 30 yards. Wow. So our stadium's not operational for now. Now, when we get to August, they'll roll it back because we have six home games this year, hopefully seven. And we'll play there this year with just a lot of construction going on in that south end zone. Um, but right now, there's there's all kinds of cranes and forklifts and all kinds of stuff on the field. And so it just, uh, you know, for our summer preparation, our spring preparation, we're just having to adjust. And so that's that's kind of what has led us to to playing at Highland Park. Well, so I was an OU alum, and I just want to – I can't go without asking you what you think of the game on September 9th when you guys go yeah. to Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's a big one, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think our program has gotten to the point over the last four or five years, we've, we've consistently been winning again. You know, we've beaten TCU two out of the last three times. I remember my last year as an offense coordinator, we beat them. You know, we felt like we should have beat Maryland last year, but we kind of let that one slip away. So we're trying to play teams like Oklahoma. And uh, really with some conference changes going on both where Oklahoma is going to the SEC and in our world, we actually lost a non-conference game um, late in the year last year. And so both us and Oklahoma happened to be in a unique situation. We needed a game. And so, yeah, we're going to go to Norman this year, second week of the season. It's going to be a great opportunity for our guys to play in front of an incredible atmosphere. Uh, but the cool part is in 2027, Oklahoma's going to come to Dallas and play in our stadium. And so, um, you know, anytime we can play against teams that have been in the playoffs recently, I think that's good for our program because that's where we want to be. Well, I can't wait to go and watch it. Yeah. Tell me what you think about the new transfer portal and how you and your staff will go about working with it. Yeah, well, it's definitely changed a lot of things in college football. Um, it's it's the equivalent of free agency in NFL football. Um, so players can transfer and you know change schools at least once in their career before they graduate uh, and be immediately eligible. So it's it's really changed the dynamic. For example, you used to bring in twenty five high school new players every year. Well, this year we brought in thirty three new players. Sixteen are from high school. Seventeen are transfers from other colleges. Oh, I mean, wow. we were bringing in seventeen players from Miami and Texas and Texas A and M and Liberty and Fresno State and on and on and on, Texas A and M. And so, um, it kind of makes the team building piece a little bit unique because now not only bringing in thirty three new faces to our team, which is almost half our roster. But they're coming from all over the place. They're not all just coming from high school. Uh, a lot of different universities, a lot of different scenarios. So trying to mesh the newcomers, the current roster, and all those guys together to, to build a team is probably a little bit more challenging than it's been before. Yeah, I can totally see that. So I've been watching Ted Lasso. Have you been watching it as well? I have, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Ted's just, my hero. He, it's such a great yeah. Great show. But I'm so curious, like, if you have, because this season there's a player that's new and incorporating him to the team, he kind of doesn't really fit. Have you ever had that happen? And how did you deal with it? Yeah. Um, was it Zava yes. or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Like, we would take one of those for sure in the transfer <laughs> portal right now. No, I, I like to think I'm a pretty positive person, but I wish I was as positive as Ted. That would be great. And had the memory of a goldfish, too. But, um, <laughs> What was your original question? I was so focused on Ted Lasso, I couldn't even think. <laughs> if you've ever had a new member of the team that came in that maybe didn't quite fit, yeah. kind of like we're talking yeah. about here. It can happen, um, and I think that's the challenge as coaches is when you everybody just assumes you just add really good players to your roster and get better. you got to pick the right ones. Right. You know, There's a saying in recruiting, you recruit your own problems. And, and that's our job to not only know that we're bringing in talented players to make our team better, but they, they fit. They fit our team culture. Uh, or we feel like our team culture is strong enough that we can help them conform to that. And, um, you know, so there's a challenge there. And there's times where we feel really good about who we're bringing in. There's times that we feel like, hey, this young man may need us more than we need him, but we think we can help him or help him fit in our culture. And, um, 
And so that's a challenge. I've been a part of it going really, really well and not going well uh, in the past. Fortunately, right now at SMU, everybody's fitting in well. Um, but I think you have to be upfront with those kind of guys. Like if you know they're going to be a little edgy or, or maybe be at risk for fitting into your culture, I think you need to have that conversation on the front and set the, set the expectations uh, so they know coming in that you're not playing around. I don't feel like Ted Lasso and the gang did that. They just well, Ted like... didn't get a choice in the matter. Like you could almost tell Ted didn't really think he needed the help. Um, but you know, so far he's doing okay. I bet he'll. I bet, I bet he'll make it work. Well, how accurate are the locker room scenes? I've always been fascinated with and curious, I should say, what goes on in the locker room as far as pumping up the team before the game starts. I've even asked my eighth grade son. He won't give me any information what happens in the locker room. Everybody's different. You know, when I grew up, it was dead silent in the locker room, and you had we called them Walkmans, right? Oh, yes. Where you put the CD in <laughs> there and you. clipped it down and I'm very put a cord aware. in. Uh, then there was the iPods and all the things. Now it's just your phone. But you listen to whatever music you wanted. So, like, I knew this is what I want to listen to for the game. Someone else might not care or whatever. Uh, now there's there's typically music pumping in the locker room. That's what the guys want. You put the headphones on if you don't want to listen to that. Ah, you know? that's interesting. And th- there's a fine line. You know, I mean, you want guys focused, but you want them loose. You want them confident. Everybody prepares for a game or an event differently. Um but I, I'll say this, it, there's only so much, you know, everybody makes a big deal about what's your pregame speech. I, I don't, we need to prepare the week before leading up to. There's not a whole lot I'm going to say five minutes before we run out of the tunnel yeah. before kickoff that's going right. to change the outcome. Um, I think, you know, there needs to be a consistent message from me and the staff throughout. Now, once the game kicks off, what we say matters, how we handle adversity, how we keep them focused, how we overcome the things that happen in a football game. Um, and then at the end of the day, there's, a winning locker room and a celebrated locker room is a whole lot better than the alternative at the end. That makes perfect sense. I love to hear that. What about like at halftime if maybe things aren't going so well leading into halftime? Yeah, I think you know halftimes happen quick for us. It may be 20 minutes on the clock and seem forever people watching on TV. They happen real fast. By the time you get in, people go to the bathroom, coaches talk, and you're in front of the team. It's just it's chaotic. Um, I think the biggest thing they need to hear from either me or the coaches is is two things. One, you know, we're okay, and we have a plan for how things can get better. Now, as a coach, sometimes you may not really believe it, to be honest <laughs> with you. You may not feel really good about where you are, but it's your job to make them believe it. Sure. It's your job for them to have hope in what you're saying. And and then so, hey, we have a plan. This is what we're going to do. And give them um, hopefully some confidence coming out of the locker room to maybe we can turn things around. And, you know, there's there's a lot of – Great wisdom out there, but there's a great story about Coach K, who was the coach at Duke forever, and they were getting beat by 20 points at the 10-minute timeout in the second half one time. And he didn't know what to say to the team. Now, Coach, you're not allowed to admit that. I don't know what to say. But there's times you don't really know what to say, but you got to say something, right? And so he had to go in there and into that huddle and convince those guys, we're okay. Hey, we're only down this. Let's do this, 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 and this. And they broke the huddle, and he's admitted saying – I didn't think in a, in a million years it would work, but they believed it. They came back and won the game, and sometimes that's part of being a coach. Yeah, you just have to change that mental attitude and get people fired up and believe in themselves. Yep. So before we started recording, we were talking about a women's clinic, and I didn't really know what you meant by that. So tell me what's going on. Yeah, so last summer uh, in June, I believe it was, we had uh, our first women's clinic, and we had probably over 100 women from the Park City show up, and we actually did it in the evening last year, and we just spent an evening of, you know, got with our coaches and, and basically walked you through kind of what it's like to be a player, but for the ladies only. 
And then we had a dinner and we had some fun and we had the wives get up and we had a panel with the wives and then we had a panel with the coaches and then the coaches and the wives. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. And they just had a lot of, I think they had a really good time. This year, uh, we're doing it on Saturday, May 6th, uh, starting around 10 o'clock, probably go like 10 to 1 ish. Um, and so it, it just really gives us a chance to let, you know, we'll have players' moms there, we'll have our wives there, um, and then really hopefully a lot of not just only SMU fans, but the ladies of the Park Cities come out and spend a few hours with us. And they really get a behind-the-scenes look of what it's like to be a college football player. And, you know, we'll take them through whether it be, you know, how it is to run a play or, or drills or just a lot of behind-the-scenes football things. And then we'll end it with some fun and, and maybe have a lunch and some mimosas or whatever. I don't know. But um, it's just a really good time for us to connect with the Park Cities, connect with our community. It's our home. And uh, people that we would love to come to SMU games in the fall, but now they have a little bit more of a personal connection to us, the staff. Some of our players will be out there. Um, and then obviously just kind of know what goes on behind the scenes. I love that, but I have a quick question. Do the women get to get on the field and like go through the plays and things? Am I allowed to give this away? <laughs> so yes, the answer is yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and our coaching staff will basically take you through on offense, defense, what goes into just simply running a play. You know, it's, it's always easy for a fan to say, oh, you should have just covered him or you should have just thrown it to the open guy. But there's a whole lot that goes into that. And so we'll have a lot of fun teaching, but then also doing it with the ladies. And, and it's usually a, a lot of fun. Okay, that is so cool. Because, I mean, you can tell somebody all day long what goes on behind the scenes and all that. But to actually get on the field and, like, do it, that's pretty amazing. It's helpful for me because, like, last year we lost our bowl game by one. We went for two to win the, the game at the end. It didn't work. And uh, I already got a shoulder of that. But then I go home for Christmas, and my mom, her only recommendation to me is get better two-point plays. You know, <laughs> Or sometimes I'll call plays and they don't work, and my two six-year-old daughters are going to ask me you know, why we run up the middle every time. And so it helps if we can educate all the ladies, so maybe they'll be a little easier on me. <laughs> well, I love that. Well, let's remind everybody how they can come out to the game Friday night. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple. Um, it'll be at, at Highland Park Stadium at 630. Um, it's free. Uh, free admission, there'll be concessions and all those kind of things. and Free parking, too. Uh, free parking. <laughs> Everything's free. Just show up, have a good time. Like I said, uh, our team will be there. Um, we'll get there, get going at 6.30. I don't know how long it'll last, to be honest with you. I don't think it'll be longer than probably 8 o'clock, if I'm being honest. And um, should be good, good weather and just good fun and a real good preview of what we think truly we've upgraded our team this year. We feel like we have good returning players. We feel like we brought in a lot of uh, transfers and high school players that add value to our team. And, and we really do feel like we're on the verge of not only getting to go to Oklahoma and play in our rival TCU where we feel like we can compete and win those games, but really uh, bringing a championship back to the Park Cities for the first time in about 40 years. And so um, that's what we're excited about. So we'd love people to get a kind of a sneak peek at what the fall could look like. Well, this is the perfect way. I know that the construction probably wasn't planned and you didn't know this was going to happen, but I think this is the perfect way to get people looped in. It's just a big step and, you know, progress is what's happening and that's just kind of part of the process process and, and we're uh, we're not inconvenienced at all because in our community we're fortunate enough to have a place like Highland Park High School right down the road. Well thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me Martha. That's been another episode of the Bubble Lounge. I'm Martha Jackson and we'll catch you next time.